little bit of noise going on, but you can be opening your Bibles to 1 Peter. Um, we are, uh, started a couple weeks ago in the study of 1 Peter, and uh, <clears throat> I'm going to read scripture before I say a whole lot uh, this morning, just letting the um, children get out. And we're, the whole book, we're just talking about identity. What is our identity in Christ is the idea of that. And uh, we're going to see uh, a few different things as we go through. Today, we're talking about the identity of holiness. Um, and uh, we'll uh, cover that in just a second. I'm going to read these verses to us. Verses 13 to 17. You can follow along in your copy of God's Word. Therefore, pre preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if or since you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you in Jesus' name. For your word, we thank you uh, for uh, Apostle Peter, your man there, that uh, you walked with all those years and uh, probably caused you uh, a whole lot of grief, it seems. But, uh, but God, you saw through all of that. We thank you that you use flawed humans. We thank you, Lord, that, uh, that uh, you called us to be available and that you, it is you that do any work. And today we're asking you to do a work. Um, God, we've been hearing about revivals across the land. We've been hearing about them in schools. Uh, we even have a movie out about uh, a great one that you did a few years back. And Lord, we're just asking, do it again. Lord, start with me. Start with us. And uh, Lord, um, so many times revivals stop because it scares us when it comes. And so we ask, God, that you do something that we didn't put on a bulletin. We didn't expect or plan for. And uh, God, may you be glorified uh, in that, help us, to Lord, to follow you no matter what. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there, there's a couple of things here about the book of Peter I, I, I just want to mention as we go forward. And one of them that I've become quickly aware of as I've looked at this book is Peter doesn't mind repeating himself. And uh, sometimes you're preaching through a book, like I preached to Joshua once, and it was a battle here, then it was about a battle there, then it was a battle, another battle there. And, and it seemed like, uh, you know, it, it was very repetitive. Well, Peter is repetitive. And in fact, when he wrote Second Peter, he said, yeah, I know I've said all this before, but it doesn't bother me to say it again. I'm going to keep saying it so that when I'm gone, you're going to remember what I said. So let Peter repeat himself to you, okay? And listen to what he is, he is driving at. And, and there's really two big themes in this book. And that is, how awesome is it that God would save us? And since that awesome God saved us, we ought to do what he called us to do. That, that's the two big themes. And we're going to see both of those here this morning. There, there's a new movie out called Jesus Revolution. And uh, in case you are wondering, should you go see it? The answer is yes, you should. It's about the revivals that started in the late 60s among hippies in California. Chuck Smith was uh, the pastor that opened the door of the traditional church to those guys. And, uh, and God blew it up and it spread across our country uh, and went through the early 70s. And 
Um, you ought to go see it. It's a true story written by one of the young men who was saved early on in that. Became a, a pastor himself, very famous pastor. And uh, um, I, I was listening to what he said about it. He, and he said what I just prayed. God uses flawed people. There's a very flawed guy in there that God used greatly to start the revival. And, and some bad things happened to him in his life after that. Uh, yet he said, but not to tell that story would be to try to rewrite history. And this is what God does. He he takes those of us who are imperfect and he uses us when we become available. And, uh, but I, I got to study revival uh, in some detail. And, and we've been hearing about revivals like at Asbury College and other places. And what I learned is that you know it's a true revival later when you see the fruit it produces. And the fruit is that it remains. And out of those revivals, there are hundreds of pastors uh, it probably in the thousands, actually, that are touched somehow. But directly, there are hundreds of pastors. There's thousands upon thousands that were touched by that revival in the 70s. And they have been serving God, and they've been faithful. And we need another revival. And I, Even if we don't see what we call a revival, I believe God is doing something. Because we're coming to the end. And I don't know if you've looked around lately, but if you're comfortable where you're sitting, prepared to get uncomfortable. Because God wants to do something here. I believe that with all my heart. If he doesn't, please don't stone me for being a false prophet. But I, I really believe that. And you know what? If we don't expect him to, how will he ever do it? As I'm reading this here today, um, notice the last word in the passage I read. The last word in verse 17 is exile. The time of your exile. You have to keep that in mind. That Peter's writing to people who are in exile. They're Christians They've been scattered uh, out, and they are, in a sense, in exile. And they're trying to live for Christ where they are, and some of them are suffering persecution. And so he is addressing their hardship. And, and, but here's the deal. Peter is, well, he was a pretty tough guy, right? We, we do get that from when he's walking around with Jesus. He, he was, it seems like he's kind of gruff, and he's kind of tough. I mean, he tried to take out... A Roman soldier with a sword. I mean, come on, man. That's, that's, that's a, you know, an untrained guy going against one of the highest trained guys of the day. Cut off a dude's ear, pulling out a sword, and Jesus had to stop him from all that. So, so he's pretty tough. And I tell you that because he doesn't have a lot of sympathy for you if you're suffering. Because he suffered. And he's like, I'm going to tell you how to get through this. You get through this by doing some certain things. So we're going to look at what those things are this morning. And, and we have to follow the example of Christ. What I want you to take home today is the identity as a follower of Christ is shown in our obedience. You see, as I said about those revivals, what God does in our heart during a time like that, a, a time of high emotion and high spiritual energy, then that should carry us into obedience that lasts the rest of our life, even if we don't have the ecstatic feeling. If you had to feel like you were dating for 50 years of marriage, you wouldn't stay married. Right? Okay, all the married people have been married more than a year said, that's right. All right? Absolutely. Because what? We made a promise to love. It is a choice that we do. And maybe in a high emotional time and happy time, we come to Christ. But friend, we, when you do that, it becomes a commitment. You know, when we baptize people in the water after they're saved and we immerse them, did you know that is spiritual warfare? We are declaring, I am identifying with the one true God and all the false gods, Satan who makes himself a God. 
We're putting them on notice that I don't belong to you. I'm not going to follow you. I'm going to follow Christ. And that's what Peter is trying to get across to us in this part today. And so it's three things that he tells us, really four things in these verses. But I'm going to talk about at least three of them. May point out the fourth. But the first one is that we follow him in hope. All right. Look at verse 13 there. I've already read it, but I, but I want you to see something here. And, and that is, in, in the language in which the Bible is written, the Greek language, and I don't have to explain it all to you because we can understand it in English, but what, what I need you to know is emphasis is given to words by the way they write them out. The, the, the cases they use, um, like, well, you don't, you don't care about that. But, but the tenses and cases that they use in the verbs and nouns. And so if we rewrote this verse as with the emphasis that the Greek language gave it. It didn't have to be in the right word order. It's the endings on the words. But if we translate it into English with the same emphasis. Look at verse 13 and listen to it as I read it that way. Therefore, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ by preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded. The emphasis is on setting our hope on the salvation to come. When does it come? At the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and, and so we, we, we see that there. And then he tells us how to do that, how to set our hope on that. Just real quickly, a couple of things you got to see in other words there. The first word is therefore in the verse. Well, when you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to see what it's there for, right? Okay, good. Um, yeah, I'm glad y'all caught that already. And the therefore is based on verses 1 through 12, which we spent two weeks on. Uh, I don't know if you remember any of it. I hope you do, but uh, sometimes I don't communicate well, so you may not. But here's a summation of what we see there. Guess what? You are God's children. God gave you a new birth and you were born into his family and so now you belong to him because you are his children and we have an untouchable inheritance we have something that nobody can ever take away from us and we don't have to fight for it we don't have to fight to keep it he fought for us and it will never be taken away and because of the greatness of our salvation, that we who were in rebellion against a holy God, who were we were shaking our fist in his face and rebellion against him, had enough mercy to give us his grace and save us. And that creates an eternal, an eternal gratitude that ought to go for the rest of our life. And so his commands to us in what to do are always rooted in grace. That God will give us grace before he tells us what to do. Every time he wants us to do something first, he gives us the grace to do it. So we don't have an excuse. We cannot say, oh, I can't do that. Well, I know you can't do that. God knows you can't do that because you never could do it. So he gives you the grace to enable you to do it. Because grace is more than that which saves us. It is that which enables us to live like God wants us to. It's more than God's um, riches at Christ's expense. It's God's righteousness at Christ's enabling. He enables you to be righteous because he is righteous. And 
Peter actually says that here as we see. And so that main verb, the thing you're to do in verse 13 is to set your hope. Now remember, the word hope means confident expectation. I know it's coming. Well, what is the hope? Well, he's talking about that final salvation. I I tried to describe that in one of the last two sermons. There was a point in my life, I was eight years old, Charleston Heights Baptist Church, E.J. Daniels preaching. I came forward. I told him I wanted to be saved. Uh, I confessed Christ in front of God and all creation. They baptized me and I was saved. But every day since then, God has been saving me. Because if you left me like I was at eight, listen, if God's not going to do anything with you, After you're saved, if you think God just saves you and then you just hang around until you die, well, Peter's going to take that thought away from you in just a moment. But then he might as well just save you and then kill you and take you home. You're here for a reason. You're here to do something. And so as we live life, he saves us every day to do it. And we get to the end of our life or his appearing he finally saves us. He changes our bodies so that we can uh, eventually gonna change our body at the resurrection. But we go to heaven where we are made perfect. And so he tells them to set their hope. Remember these people are in exile. Some of them are suffering. And he says, listen, you've got a great thing coming. You can put up with this right now. Don't worry about your suffering. Worry about setting your hope of the salvation of God in Christ that's coming at the end. And you do that two ways. First, by preparing your mind for actions. Now, all real men in here ought to love those words. Because this is gird up your loins. That's really what he's saying. It's very familiar to these guys. We were talking about this the other day with a group of guys. There's language in the Bible. Paul says, act like men. When, when, uh, when Solomon's son uh, basically didn't listen to what God told him to do, The people of Israel said, to your tents, O Israel. They're going to get their weapons. Man, it's time for war. That's what is declared. Peter says, you set your hope on it because you're going to be a man. Because what what does gird your loins? They wore a long flowing robe, right? We got that picture. Well, if you got a fight, that thing's going to get in the way. And so they would reach underneath and grab the back and pull it up and tie a belt around it to make it a pair of shorts. So they could move better, right? And it became a a phrase, a symbol to mean, dude, get ready for battle. Get ready to fight. Get ready to get in the the skirmish. Because we're not going to leave anybody behind. We're not going to get out of the fight. We're going to be in the fight. And so we set our hope by girding up our mind. We say, I'm going to discipline my mind. I'm going to learn what God wants me to learn. I'm going to see what God wants me to see in his word. I'm going to take my mind. I'm going to put it on God, on Christ. I'm going to put it on his word and I'm going to learn. And that word sober-minded means don't be drunk in your thinking, right? And that's what sober means, right? You're not drunk, right? Just, just trying to give you a little colloquialisms here to help you. In other words, don't let your mind be out of sorts because you're just thinking silliness. You need to think seriously about what God is telling us here. You see, faith and hope are bookends of our life. Faith looks backward at what God has done for us, and we express our understanding and belief in that. And then we have a confident expectation that he's not going to let go of us, and at the end, we're going to see him, and we will be with him. So our obligation is to live lives in the hope of our glorification that he was going to change us when he returns or when we see him. And so... 
That's verse 13. Verses 14 and 16, there is something else he tells us. He says, as obedient children. Did you notice that? There was a time in in Luke chapter 8. Jesus' mom and his brothers came to see him. And the guys rushed in and said, hey, Jesus, your mom and brothers are here. And here was Jesus' response in Luke 8, 21. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is the word of God. You are Jesus' brother if you do it. If you, like me, got saved in your youth or whenever, you became a Christian way back here in the past. And you've just been warming up a few ever since. There's no evidence in your life that God did anything back here. As obedient children. Do you get that? God's your father. So you're supposed to obey, right? You're supposed to do something after that. Because you're better? No, because he gave you his grace to make you a brand new creation. He didn't make you better. He killed you and made you new. And filled you with his grace. He made you a brand new creation. One that can respond to him. He says here in the next phrase in verse 14. Don't be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. That word conformed is the same one in Romans 12 too. Not to be pressed into a mold of disobedience. Don't don't be pressed into the mold of what you used to be. So, So many people think that what they used to be is going to define what they'll be forever. No. No, he broke the mold. He made you in a new mold, the mold that looks like Jesus. And that's a continuing process, as I illustrated by walking back and forth up here, right? It's a continuous process in our life. So don't don't get discouraged. God gave us a command. It's kind of funny that a lot of people say, well, I don't feel led. You don't need to feel led. He gave you a command. Imagine the general telling the soldiers, let's go to war. Well, I'm just not feeling it today. (laughs) It doesn't happen, does it? We are called soldiers. We are called farmers. Farmers can't go, I just don't feel like going out there and taking care of the cows and the sheep and the chickens or whatever you got. and Weeding the garden or sowing the garden or harvesting the garden. It's just just too much today. I'm just going to take a day off. They don't get that choice. The work's got to get done. And we've lost that tone. We've lost that note in the song of the church. That we're supposed to be busy about the Lord's work. The, the Christian life is not passive. I got that out of a commentary I read by a guy named Thomas Schreiner. I, I love that phrase. Though. The Christian life is not a passive life. It's an active life. It's what we do. Notice in verse 15 it starts with the word but. The, the word but means that things have changed. He said, you had this former life, but, I like that. He who called you is holy, you have to be holy. He who is your father is holy. You got to look like dad, and dad is holy. Now, remember, I've said it, but I want to make sure you're following where I am. Holy doesn't mean perfect for us. Holy, the word holy means set apart. God is perfect because he got to make all the rules. Who he is is what is right and real. 
You follow me? It's so funny when, when people that don't know God or even want to deny God say, well, well, murder's wrong, you know. Well, warfare's wrong. They complain about how does a good God let evil happen? Well, a good God can't do evil because he has to be consistent in himself. The Bible says he is consistent in himself. And what we know to be good is the revelation of God. What he says is good. If you follow Satan, what does he say is good? If Satan's your God, all kind of bad things that we call bad are good. Because that's his nature. But God's given us his nature, which is good. And thankfully, God is a good God. It's, it, everything he does is for our help and our welfare and our well-being. I didn't mean to confuse you there. And I feel like I didn't describe that well enough. But I want you, what I want you to understand is that we are to act like God. And it is a good thing. God is good. And so he says, be holy in all your conduct because it is written, you shall be holy because I am holy. God put us in his image, and holy means set apart. God is perfectly set apart. Nothing influences him. He influences all things. He is separate from everything, yet he's involved in everything. He is not dictated to by creation. He created it, and he dictates to it. He is eternally separate, yet he is involved. He didn't, he didn't create everything and then back up and say, have at it. He created everything and he stays involved. So that Psalm 139 says that he is knitting you in your mother's womb. You were born exactly like God wanted you to be. You say, well, I can't believe he did this to me. (laughs) But when you understand he has a purpose for you being that way. And you fulfill that purpose in your life. You find perfect joy and perfect purpose in your life. And so... We not only follow him in hope, we follow him in holiness. We are set apart for his use to whatever he wants. And notice there's a little word in there in verse 15. He who called you. It's not not because you chose. He called you out. He chose you out. He called you out. First couple of verses in 1 Peter, he talks about that, that God did that for us. And so we are set apart, and he is our father, and we ought to look like our dad. The third thing I want you to see before I run out of time is we follow in fear. You thought it was going to be another word with H, right? Because look at the last verse in this passage, verse 17. If you call on him as father who judges impartially. And remember, the word if can be since or if. The context determines it. Most of the time, I like since. One of the commentaries I read said if probably is the right word here, but... That was his opinion, and I got my own opinion. And his opinion and my opinion are about equal. Since you call him as father, or if you call on him as father, who judges impartially. What is, wait, wait, hold on, wait. He judges impartially? That means you don't get a special favor? If you have a bunch of brothers and sisters, or you're a parent with a bunch of children... Did your dad let one of you get by with more than the other? I know you think he did. Because it wasn't you, right? (laughs) But that's not so. There's no partiality in his judgment. So I thought we're Baptists. We believe once saved, always saved. 
Well, that's, that's a gross simplification of a grand doctrine. Because there's nowhere in the Bible that says a man who is practicing sin can lay down and rest. He calls us to repentance. He calls us to change. He calls us to follow him. And that call is never revoked. Listen. The reason we struggle with the first two points of setting our mind and hope and, and setting our mind in holiness is because we forgot who God is. We forgot and don't understand he's our father. And we're supposed to look like daddy. We're supposed to look like our father. In our modern time in the church, we've emphasized God's love and mercy and grace. And all those things are real. But you cannot hear the whisperings of Calvary until you hear the thunder of Sinai. And you know that there is a holy God that cannot even be looked upon lest it kill you. Who gave us his holiness so that we would know how badly we needed him. And then he gave us what we needed by dying on a cross in our place. And there is love and there is mercy with God. And I'm so grateful for that. But that doesn't come without our turning away from our sin and turning to him. Because if I'm holy, that means I'm set apart for him. For him to use however he wants, however he sees fit. When I tell God what I want him to do, he just laughs. (laughs) Because he's the one that knows better than I do what I ought to be doing. Right? Because he made you to do what he calls you to do. Our father is an impartial judge. But look what it said. Since we call on him. We get to call him. It's not that we're so afraid we can't call him. No, you call on him. But understand, you're calling on a father who says, Sure, I'll tell you exactly what I want you to do. Here's my command. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creation. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. And I'm with you in this till the end of the time. That's our job, right? And the way we live it is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbor like we love ourselves, Right? On these two things hang all the law. It's that simple, but it's that hard. Because... When he saves us, that's what we're called to do. To worship him completely and be totally sold out to him. And to serve everybody else around us. We ought to fear God. But if you're going to be in exile. We need to know we got a father that has put us in exile. So he can use us there. Where would Christianity be if these people weren't in exile? If God hadn't have made a Paul, or made a Saul, then he remade him into Paul. <laughs> and brought the gospel to the people that eventually sailed across an ocean to this side of the world. So that you and I are sitting here today. Well, that's what Peter tells us to do. Set your mind on this hope. This hope. The end's coming. He's going to sit, meet us when we get there. And that we ought to act like people 
who has God as a father. And we do that in a holy fear. Not, not we're afraid God's going to slap us around, but in a reverence for who God is. And we say, God, since you're in charge of everything and you are God and you're my father, what is it you want me to do? And then do it. And as I said, the Bible's pretty clear on what he wants us to do. Well, what are some things you can do? First of all, compare your life to the holiness of God. Not to your neighbor. You're always better than somebody else, you know. <laughs> Nobody's better than God. So compare your life to his holiness. Are you totally set apart for God? And then I would even recommend ask somebody close to you if they think you're living a holy life. That's scary. And I would say develop a very healthy idea about who God is by turning to him every morning. Every morning look to God and turn to him and say, God, you are my God and I worship you and I thank you. And then follow him. Look into his word. See what he has there. Ask him to show you out of his word. We need the Holy Spirit to interpret the word. Have you ever thought about that? God is not a distant God off somewhere. The Bible says when we come to him, he lives inside of us by the person of the Holy Spirit who is part of the Trinity, right? All three are Yahweh. God, Yahweh. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he comes and he lives in these broken clay pots is what Paul called them. Vessels of clay. And the power, the incomprehensible power of God he put into a clay pot. You. Live it out. Live it out.